Hey, welcome back, everybody in listener land. This is Naga Notes, and I think last time or the time before I said something about the world's only podcast recorded in a garage that aims to educate and enrich your noggin on matters of mental wellness and psychological well-being and spirituality and emotional regulation. And some one of my smart aleck friends came up to me and said, hey, uh, how do you know that you're uh, you're the only podcast recorded in a garage that does those things? I said, you know what? I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that I, um, this is the only podcast, but it sounds really good when you say it's the world's only anything. So uh, this time I'm just going to say it's the world's only podcast hosted by me that uh, aims to do those things because I know I'm not elsewhere. Anyway, this is Listener Mail, and it's episode number 38, and it's a, it, I, had a, I really enjoyed doing this one because it's a, it's a little bit unique. I'm going to let you figure that out when you listen to it, but... Um, Listener mail is going to be coming up a little bit more frequently. We're starting to get a little bit more uh, listener feedback and really, really good questions. Some of them are really personal, really touching, and some of them are really profound, too. They um, they really speak to broader topics uh, that span much greater ranges than just, uh, you know, hey, what can I do about my anxiety? I mean... Uh, not to sell that short, but some of them are just really, really good. They're asking about the, you know, the national movements and influences of different organizations and um, where this whole mental health thing is going. And so, I'm I'm excited. I'm going to start doing those a little bit more frequently, possibly as frequently as doing them um, uh, once every other week, uh, but not in place of the actual podcast itself. I think we're going to start dropping them in on maybe Thursdays, so it'll give you guys a little bit more. Uh, feedback. And for those of you who want more, you're going to get it. And for those of you who don't want to hear me at all, uh, go ahead and stop listening now. Cause <laughs> I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that you got better ways to spend your time than listening to me ramble on. So anyway, uh, thank you for joining us and thanks for staying loyal to all of those people out there who have listened to us for many episodes. I, uh, I'm truly humbled as I always am. And I, and I touch on that, that humility, uh, here in this in this listener mail. So, all that being said, uh, go check out zephyrwellness.org. Check out the Zephyr Wellness YouTube channel, and also keep on your radar. There's an upcoming fundraiser between Noggin Notes and Animal Rescue Cambodia. We'll uh, share more about that in the future, but you can check out Animal Rescue Cambodia online. And uh, there's some really cool stuff coming. I'm excited to be a part of it. Enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jake and um, this is Listener Mail. It's a unique Listener Mail though and I'm excited to do it because it's a completely different format. Usually we have people write in and ask questions about mental health and whatnot and I'm going to actually do another one because we do have a bunch of listener questions uh, that have stacked up over time. It's been, like I said, it's been a while since we've done a Listener Mail but this one jumped out at me because it's from a student, and uh, I actually went and had lunch and uh, went over this stuff with the, with the student. His name's Mike Delaraca. He's a first-year counseling student at Capella University, and the, the assignment was to reach out to a mental health professional and ask him a series of questions. I ended up being that professional. I love doing this stuff for people. I like uh, I like that role that I play in the community where people can come to me and ask about really anything at any time. And that's really what the podcast is about after all. So 
I've got this series of questions in front of me that are part of his first year, uh, first you know, orientation class uh, experience. And there are six questions, although some of them are uh, questions within questions. And I thought halfway through doing lunch with him, I thought, man, this would make a really good podcast. Uh, I think people are trying to get into the field. They don't know much about it. Uh, it can seem a little spooky and scary and um, and a little overwhelming. So this, I found a, a good good way to, to kind of break the ice with, with the listening audience. So if you're interested in being in counseling or if you're just interested in how it is that we come about doing what we do, I figured this is a good format. So I'm not going to talk anymore about why I'm doing this. I think that's pretty plain and it'll become even more obvious as I go through that. I'm just going to jump into the question. So the first one is a, it's a compound question. It says, what are your professional credentials? When did you receive these? And what was the process like for you? So my professional credential that allows me to treat people and bill their insurance uh, legally through state law and so forth is a marriage and family therapy license. So in the state of Nevada, I am licensed. I actually also sit on my licensing board, and currently I am the I am the president of that licensing board. And so what happens is you'll go through your graduate program, graduate, apply for licensure like you would with uh, with any licensing board, whether you're a state contractor or a dentist or a doctor or a nurse or um, there, there's a, a bunch of different licensing boards based on the state that you're in. Uh, barbers, estheticians, massage therapists—they all—they all need licenses. And basically, what that is is the state says we have examined these people, and that's what the board of examiners is. We have examined these people and their credentials to deem them worthy of stamping our government approval upon them, and uh, we we reasonably guarantee that they're minimally qualified and minimally competent to practice, and that they're not going to do harm to the public. So. My license is as a marriage and family therapist. Some of the other licenses you can get in Nevada are clinical professional counselor, clinical social worker, psychiatrist, psychologist, clinical alcohol and drug counselor, uh, certified alcohol and drug counselor, licensed alcohol and drug counselor. There's uh, gambling counseling additions that you can make to, to those as well. And um, that's that's the generic overview is there are several disciplines, all of which are able to treat uh, and diagnose different mental illness uh, c- components, m- different disorders, and uh, work people into into better well-being. So my professional credential is uh, marriage and family therapist, or MFT. I received it in 20, uh, 2011. I graduated in December of 2011 from the University of Nevada, and uh, that program is uh, accredited by KCREP. I'm not going to go into that, but there's, there's several different professional accrediting organizations that do uh, accredit universities. So that's, that's a standard by which uh, our degrees are measured. And then what was the process like for me? That's This is a really long one. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. The process is, uh, it can be fairly clean. In the state of Nevada, it hasn't been very clean for a very long time, but we're cleaning it up and streamlining things so that we can encourage workforce development and so forth. But essentially what you need is, you need the graduate degree. And during that graduate degree, you should be doing what's called a practicum and an internship. And that's where you accumulate approximately 500 contact hours face-to-face as a student, working with clients and being heavily supervised through the, the whole time. And you graduate and you go to your state licensing board and you usually have to submit uh, to a background check. You have to provide maybe your transcripts, uh, letters of recommendation perhaps. Um, sometimes people ask for um, you know work histories and that kind of thing. And then the, the board will look at all that stuff and then submit you for licensure. 
but that's not full licensure. You still, in, in almost every state in America, I believe, uh, you have to go through what's called an, a state internship, or some call it a, an associateship or um, an, an apprenticeship. So for the next couple of years, you're accumulating about 3,000 hours or so of contact time with clients while still under supervision before becoming fully independently licensed. So that process for me was actually very quick. It was very easy. Um, I went through it very quickly. I was licensed two years after I applied, and, um, and, and I've been practicing full licensed independent since 2014. So I just, I just, I'm actually approaching my fourth anniversary. I'm also a board-approved supervisor in the state of Nevada, and that allows me to, to um, supervise interns as they come up. So I, I, I really enjoy this student uh, mentorship process and the internship process. The second question is, how do you describe your professional counseling approach? Now, if, uh, if you're not familiar with the counseling field, we have several types of what are called modalities, treatment modalities. And all a modality is is a way of looking at a client. And a good way of describing one's modality is say, how do you believe that people change? And your modality or your therapeutic approach should inform that answer. So there are several. Uh, Adlerian, Jungian, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, rational emotive behavioral therapy, psychoanalysis, existentialism, uh, and, and so on and so on. And then there are systemic approaches, strategic, structural, um, and, the, and the list goes on and on and on. They're always coming out with more and more. A new one that just, just popped is uh, called acceptance and commitment therapy. It's not that new. It's, I don't know, 15 years old or so, but it's new in, in, in the whole spectrum of how long psychotherapy has been around. So my professional counseling approach integrates several of those different modalities. Now, I was taught in school that at the beginning of your career, you cannot afford to be eclectic, meaning you cannot afford to be cherry picking from several different theories. And the reason for that is because you don't know why you're picking the cherries that you're picking. In other words, you may pull a piece of fruit off a tree, but in counseling, you really need to know the tree and you need to know the roots and you need to know why it was planted and some of its relatives and cousins and so forth. You can't just go make a fruit salad uh, because you could inadvertently pick some berries that are not healthy or they might not mix well with the other fruit. It might be, <laughs> might be, uh, might be tasteless. And in our profession, if you're doing that, it could cause harm because you don't, don't know how to execute the proper um, terminology, maybe the proper techniques. So I started with something called reality therapy, and it comes from a guy named William Glasser. I started there, recognized that it has limitations, and I went to something called rational emotive behavioral therapy by a guy named Albert Ellis. And I realized that that has some limitations too, but then I started really getting into the emotional functioning thing. And that comes from a guy named Carol Izzard. And that's not a theory in and of itself. It's just good understanding of neurology and neuroscience. Then I started working in tw more toward Carl Jung, that's J-U-N-G, and his Jungian analytic psychology, because it, it's much deeper and it speaks to the depth of a person. I realize that the limits of the other uh, modalities tend to associate themselves just with outward behaviors and fixing that stuff, and I realize that humans are just deeper than that, and I, I just fundamentally believe that, so, so the Jungian thing worked for me, but it is very, very challenging. It's really hard to get into Carl Jung's work. It's very deep and it's very dense. And then when I was doing my internship at a, at a hospital here in town, for uh, it's a psychiatric hospital, they, they sent me away and I had the privilege of, of getting paid for uh, in its entirety 
uh, a 67 or 68 and a half hour dialectical behavior therapy training. It was an intensive training over um, several months, and it took it took more than a year to complete the process and uh, several weekends of two and three days at a time. But I completed that, and so I now interweave um, aspects of DBT, REBT, reality therapy, Jungian analytic psychology, and of course the emotional functioning underlying it. I don't reach much into the other stuff. There's there's things that you don't want to dabble in, like um, EMDR, which is eye movement desens- uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and that's a, a very deep involved training process. So you don't really want to dabble in that. You don't want to dabble in certain things that you you need to be well versed in. So I don't I don't really reach into existentialism too much. I don't really reach into Adlerian stuff too much just because I, I would prefer to be well-versed if I'm going to use them at all. But that's basically my overview. And if I could summarize my counseling theory, it's that I believe that fundamentally people just want to be happy and they want to be at peace. And for me, the best way to do that is to get closer to what we want. The best way to get closer to what we want is to have more options. If my options are limited, I may get what I want, but only based on what I see. So if I can expand my awareness, I can see more and get a little bit closer to that which I really want. And the best way to do that, increase awareness. So for me, my counseling is all about increasing people's awareness, and I do that through a variety of methods, You know, reflecting on, on what they say, helping, the, helping guide them, direct education, um, anecdotal stories, shared experiences from other people's lives, other counseling sessions. Of course, I don't break confidentiality when I do that, but uh, stories from my own life even. And, um, and, and that seems to help people gain better awareness so that they know that more things are possible and then they can choose closer to what they really want and then ultimately get happier. So that's, that's my professional counseling approach. Three, uh, what is the most rewarding aspect of being a counseling professional for you? Very simply put, it's sim- it's it's being a part of somebody's healing. It, it's it's one of the most humbling things I can ever think of. Um, I, I got a little bit of this uh, through coaching high school track. I got it through teaching. But watching people grow and develop and ultimately become healthier and more satisfied in their lives is is just such an honor. And I think it's a privilege that. I don't ever take for granted. I don't ever take it lightly. And whenever somebody comes to me and says, can you help? I, I just, man, I'm, I'm, I'm taken aback. I never, never take it for granted that somebody is willing enough to open up to me of all people on this planet. I mean, it's, it's just, just mind blowing, uh, that they, they think highly enough that I could help them somehow. So that's the most rewarding part is watching people grow and develop and, and get closer to what they're their true self should be and what their what their um, goals are and 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 self-actualizing into life it's just really awesome to watch that happen and especially if they've been really beaten down or broken or you know um, wounded over time uh, trauma sufferers you know people who come from really horrible circumstances watching them grow is it evokes tears honestly I, um, I I love it so that's that's the most rewarding part Number four, what have you found to be the most challenging aspect of being a counseling professional? Uh, honestly, it's it's the politics. And I know that there shouldn't be politics in, in a profession that helps heal people, but there are. Uh, there's politics over money, funding sources, insurance. Uh, insurance is probably also a, a huge challenge because... In a nutshell, insurance companies aren't really interested in paying to watch you get better. They're interested in making money for their shareholders, um, unless it's a nonprofit insurance company. 
uh, then they dump money back into the system. But my job is to help people heal and that requires funding, you know, paying my salary, paying my fee. And, um, and some people don't like to pay for that. And that's just, that just sucks. And I, I don't like it. It makes me angry. Um, and part of that anger, if you've listened to the emotional, uh, understanding or emotional awareness podcast, you know, that anger serves to motivate. And I have motivated myself to go make change at the macro level. I'm involved in my, um, my state government. I'm involved in lots of local boards and commissions and, uh, coalitions and committees and, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to make large systemic change so that we don't have this uh, political tug of war, where you know we're carving out more funding for prisons than we are for mental health. It just doesn't make any sense. We all know that the front end investment pays off longer in in I mean better in the longer term, and yet for some reason we can't seem to turn our heads around that. Um, you know, education is underfunded, uh, healthcare is underfunded. So the politics of of being in a a humanitarian profession and a healing profession just um, really, really drive me nuts. So that's the most challenging aspect. But I do see things changing, and and it's not all doom and gloom. And I am, I am full of, I'm, all, I'm always full of hope. I think that there's always stuff that you know we can do better. So when I see that, it's it's encouraging. And number five, what are some specific ways that you build connections and relationships in the counseling field? Well, one is I go to lunch with people who want to ask questions of me for for their projects and uh, I let them buy me uh, burgers and dinner and uh, and beer and that and that's how I build connections but I also build connections by um, volunteering my time I sit on all those boards and committees and coalitions because it's it's good for everybody uh, and I like to be able to add that voice uh, I, I don't believe that the information in my head does any good if it stays in my head so the more people I can contact the more people I can reach the more that information gets out. And I'd love to share what I've learned over the years with others who are interested in hearing it. And I, I likewise want to hear back from other people. So I don't believe that it's in my best interest or my client's best interest or my company's best interest to stay behind closed doors and just um, put my nose into a book or um, you know do one-on-one psychotherapy. That's all well and good, but that's not um, that's not efficient enough for me. I want to spread further uh and wider into a larger audience the 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 stuff that i know helps people that's i mean that's why i do a podcast so uh specifically i will meet almost anybody at any time to talk about anything and that's worth it to me uh some people you know look at that and go well you should be charging for your time and to me it's it's just not about that it's not about money i mean i got i got enough money i got a house and i got you know i got a car and i got food in my belly and that's that's enough. You know, I don't, I don't need gobs and gobs of money. I'd, I'd rather spread my knowledge and, and, uh, experience, uh, for free, uh, to, to help other people heal. Cause if everybody heals, uh, then ultimately I benefit in the end anyway. So it is a little bit enlightened, but, um, but I, I can't, I can't walk, operate on a ledger system. You know, how much I give out should come back to me or something like that. So the way I build specific, uh, specific ways that I build connections and relationships is, is by, by just doing stuff like always integrating into the community as much as possible and working 70 hours a week. (laughs) Uh, number six, what suggestions do you have for attaining and maintaining supervision throughout one's professional career? So this is a little bit specific to the profession is, you know, how do you go about uh, maintaining supervision? Go interview people. And if you have a good fit with somebody, uh, we'll just use me for an example, because I'm a licensed, uh, professional and, and a board approved supervisor. 
if you have lunch with me and you decide it's a good fit and uh, things seem to click, um, retain me as your supervisor. And I would suggest that for anybody getting into therapy too. Um, we did the uh, the steps of of counseling, you know, how to what to look for and how to get into that in a different podcast. But it's the same type of concept. You, you're going to go in and you're going to assess for a fit. If you're a good fit with the person, then stick with them. And if they're not a good fit, that's fine. There's not really going to be any you know hard feelings about that. Because we as supervisors or mentors also know that one size does not fit all. And um, I can't be everything to everybody. I'm going to be something to some people. And they're going to hopefully get some diversity of supervision and diversity of thought elsewhere. So similar to my clients, I wouldn't tell them that they, you know, they must only come to me for their healing. I'm, I'm certainly not a physician. I'm certainly not a, a Reiki practitioner. I'm, I don't know anything about, um, you know, uh, I know some stuff about dietary, but I, I'm not going to be your personal trainer. I'm not going to, you know, create a, a food map for you. I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be your spiritual counselor. I, I can do that, but that's not my thing. My thing is, mental and behavioral health. Uh, if you need all that other stuff, go find those people who are experts in their own field and, and put it all together with a nice integrated approach. Um, and I would recommend the same thing for supervision. In the state of Nevada, we're very unique in that we we actually, as a state, require interns to have multiple supervisors, at least two. And, um, and we encourage that you have more than two because, again, diversity of thought only makes for a better clinician so that we don't get locked into our, our worldview and, uh, never budge off of it. So, uh, those are the six questions that Mike had for me from his class. I hope that, you know, somebody got something out of that. And again, as always, if you want to follow up, uh, hit, hit us up at info at nogginnotes.com or info at Zephyr, excuse me, that's totally professional to burp into the microphone, uh, info at zephyrwellness.org. And, uh, we'll try not, try not to belch in your face or in your ears next time. <laughs> Uh, but hey, that's what makes us all human, right? We uh, we can laugh through our mistakes. On behalf of the Zephyr Wellness team and on behalf of the Naga Notes group, I wish you all great mental wellness. And I will uh, I will not see you, but maybe you will hear me back here in a week on the Naga Notes podcast. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.